Welcome back to a new episode of Content Rookie. I'm really excited about today's episode. Mario's joining me. He's a lead content designer at King, currently based in Barcelona. And uh, I think most of you who are into content design, content strategy, or UX writing have probably heard from him. He's a super kind guy. And I'm really excited to have him here today to talk about all things stakeholders. So we're going to dive into the different stakeholders that you'll likely be working and collaborating with as a UX writer, um, how that day-to-day -day work and collaboration could look like, some tips that may help you establish better collaboration, Collaboration. Um, but also, I think it's a really nice opportunity to get a more in-depth view of how UX writing actually looks uh, in our day-to-day -day work, because a lot of different people are involved. So yeah, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Awesome. Let's do this. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. Yeah. Hey, Mario. Welcome to Content Rookie. Thank you so much for doing this. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, hola, Nicole. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So, yeah, um, my name is Mario Ferrer. I'm originally from Guadalajara, Mexico, mm -hmm. but I've been living in Barcelona, Spain for the last, oh my God, 12 years now. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a long time. time. Whew. Yeah, I, I, you know the, those times when you don't think about stuff, but then it comes to your head and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a long time. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, I'm currently a lead content designer over at um, King Games, uh, the makers of Candy Crush. And uh, previously before that, I was working over at Skyscanner as a senior UX writer. So um, I've been doing this for, for a while now. And uh, I, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, it's it's like that, that, that thing that they tell you that when you do things that you enjoy and that you love, you don't feel like it's work when it's actually like a lot of work. And the other thing that, uh, that I also have a lot of fun with doing is I started uh, a content design community over here in Spain. It's going to be like two and a half years ago. And now it's just, it keeps growing and growing and growing. And, and we've gone from like having chats over a Slack uh, group to, to a proper meetup group. And now we're, well, currently we're now doing events um, online, but we used to do events also in person. And uh, the other thing that I do also is I teach UX writing. Mm -hmm. So I teach UX writing in, in separate places. I teach them. I teach for, for um, product designers when they're doing their master's degree. And I'm also teaching at like specialized courses for um, UX writing and content design. So that's a little bit about me. Um, that's, that's like the work side. On the human side, um, I've got two kids. Uh, um, I've been married for, yeah, almost 12 years also. Uh, I really like tacos. And if you've ever heard yes, me speak or seen my Mexican Twitter feed. Mexican tacos. <laughs> exactly. That's 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 just like my feel, and I'm really, really, really into um cumbia music and uh, mm -hmm. stand up comedy. So if you have any any suggestions for like stand up comedy that you really enjoy, I try to listen and, and watch as many specials as I can because I like to to learn how they do things, right? And and how in the end they're telling a story, but they're also making you laugh. So for me, that's like a superpower. I think so, that's yeah, really that, great. That's a, that's a little bit about me. Thank you so much for introducing yourself. On the stand-up comedy note, I've always felt that like a lot of the UX writers I've spoken to, they've had like a nag for comedy. So I wonder if it comes with the job because I'm also really into stand-up and my friends say like that the best thing about me is that I'm hilarious. So I always wonder if it's like <laughs> something you need when you go into UX writing. Like you need a lot of humor to deal with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's and, and it's it's a lot of like being able to laugh at yourself because it, to be completely honest i mean our craft is pretty new 
So we're pretty much making it as we go and we keep making these mistakes. So either you learn to live with that and sort of like laugh at yourself. And now when, when you see it in the past, like, oh my God, why didn't I think about that? Yeah. It's either that or, or just like, I mean, it, it hits you hard. So, so yeah, no, it's, it's just laughing a little bit about yourself and, and about the situation in, in like my, yeah, I can definitely relate. The community that you started, um, what's it called for all our Spanish listeners so they can find you? I'll also link it below, but maybe you you want to introduce the name. Sure. The name is uh, Content Design España. All right. It's just very basic. Well, <laughs> yeah, we have a, well, I'll share the, the Twitter handle and the meetup group so they can, so people can definitely check it out. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mario. That was a really great introduction. So um, today's episode, I already told the listeners, we're focusing a little on stakeholders. Um, so we're going to talk about the stakeholders that we as UX writers, content designers, content strategists interact with a lot. So I'm going to give the question to you right away, Mario. So what are the most common or who are the most common stakeholders for you? Um, for me, it, it varies from from team to team and from place to place. I mean, right now, where I'm working at is it's it's a games company. So the main stakeholders that you normally have when you work in product, which are your PMs, your devs, legal, uh, marketing, obviously product design and UX research, you have to sort of like increase it a little bit because you also work with people like game designers who are at the core of the experience because they come up with the game mechanics. And then you also have narrative designers. And these are the folks that come up with basically the narrative and the stories, uh, the universe that um, that entails everything. So there's a whole bunch of, of, of stakeholders that uh, that I have to relate to, some at a bigger capacity and some just for like specific points. But I mean, and, and, and you've been speaking about this with, with Jane in your previous episode, is like the more you realize that you need to design with others and not just for others, because I, I always say that... Um, we spend a lot of time thinking about the end user and what's the best for them. Mm -hmm. And that makes total sense. But we rarely stop to think about the people we're designing with. Yes. So it, it's very interesting to, to understand what makes the other one tick, right? What's important for them. And, and what can we as either UX writers or, or content designers or, or content strategists help them out to, to achieve those goals. Right. So in like a past situation or maybe a current situation or, or a project that you've worked on and the stakeholder collaboration worked really well, was there something that stands out for you um, besides, I mean, of course, relationship building is key, but was there anything like any specific process or any specific rhythm that really worked for you? Yeah, for, for me, it's, 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 a, it's a lot about asking questions, but not asking questions just for the sake of asking questions. And, and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll try to unpack that in a sec. For me, it's about asking questions to understand what makes the, the person on the tick, right? So what I was mentioning before. So we forget that we have um, we have this idea that if the other person has never worked with a UX writer or a content designer, that's like it's our job to sort of tell them how that works. But I think that's going way too fast. First, you need to understand what's important for them. So if it's a PM, if it's if it's a product designer, if it's a researcher, if it's someone from the dev team, it's like get to know a little bit about what their day-to-day -day is and what the job is. I'm not saying that you have to become an expert in that area, but at least understand their language, understand how they move, understand their processes, because that's how you'll eventually decide where and at what point of that process you can actually start to, to help out and provide value. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, 
yes, it's definitely relationship building, but it starts with with asking questions, asking questions, and and, and being trying to f- being friendly. There's this um, quote from I think his name is Dan Hahn. Mm-hmm. Give me a sec. That I that I really enjoy. That he he's got it as his um as his Twitter bio. Dan Hahn, yeah. So he has make friends, break silos, and build bridges. Oh, I love that. I think that that for me is just it's 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 spot on, right? Yeah. I know the word friend is like in some cultures it's very strong, but 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 it's true. I mean, you need to create these relationships, right? So if you create those relationships, what that helps is that helps to break those silos, right? But the problem is breaking silos is not the end of the job because then you start to have rebuilding those bridges in order to actually start collaborating better. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's always really interesting. Usually when I'm brought onto a new project, um, I always get this question. So what's like the ideal way to work with you? Like, what's the ideal way to work with UX writing? And I'm like, well, we have to figure it out. And then sometimes the people exactly. I'm working with, they're really eager though. They want to see something. They're like so eager to just do like follow some guide. So then I always have two presentations. Yeah. I have one that is like, the ideal way to work with UX writing that has worked for me in the past that just has a couple mm-hmm. of examples of how I've worked with like different teams. And then I, if they're really eager to learn about it, I'll, I'll talk them through it and really be open about with, well, this worked well here because um, specifically this process that we, we had to um, align with or specifically because this team was bigger or had more influence and things like that. Uh, and then I say, but you know what? Like, let's start working together. Let's start getting to know each other. Let's figure it out and in a couple of weeks or so i make a presentation called this is ux writing at company name that then really documents like how it works well for us and that documentation is always evolving so like i updated like i would say every other month depending on how much i work with with that particular company and that has worked really well for me so that way people feel like they get somewhat of an idea of how it could look like especially if they're completely new to working with a ux writer or content designer that can still be useful but at the same time uh, it also really takes into account like whatever the structures in the organization are and the information flow and it really helps establish something that actually works i think it's more sustainable yeah for, for me there's 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 a very like a very small sentence I always use because most of the teams that I started working in at the beginning, um, the content designer or the UX writer was brought in like sort of like an afterthought, right? Mm. So what I would what, what I start, because basically my first pro- point of contact always tends to be the product designer because it's like I I try to like make friends, right, with that person because that's the actual link to the rest of the product from a design perspective. So I always tell them like, remember, like 10 years ago when devs would come to you and they would be like, you know what? Everything's they just sprinkle some UX on top yeah. and they'll just they'll, <laughs> they'll frown and they'll be like, oh my God, yes. It's like, well, that's us now. When you come to me and you tell me like, everything's designed, the flow's ready, everything's done, let's go. Just could you please sprinkle some of your magic words on top? I'm like, yeah, no, that's that is the exact same thing. And when you flip it around and you make it about how they used to feel or the stories, the terror stories that you used to hear about, they get it so quickly and they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I don't I don't like it when I feel like that. So if that happens to you, let me see how we can make this work so you can come in at earlier parts of the process. Now, obviously, like you were saying, that's, that's the ideal. We need to make sure that the context uh, allows you to do so and that the bandwidth within your team also allows you to do so. So yeah. it's 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 a very mm, difficult balancing act in a way. 
Yeah, I always tell the designers I work with, like, please invite me to every meeting you think I should be in. And <laughs> yeah. please, like, exactly. share every research deck with me. But also, please don't get offended if I don't look at it or I don't have time to join. Because, of course, yeah. the ratios between UX writers and UX designers it's, are it's crazy. Yeah, they're insane. Yeah. Like, you can't do it. So, And that's why mm. this whole ideal, like, ideal process for an embedded UX writer like, I would really like to know who came up with that because that person did not have the ratios in mind. But um, yeah. yeah, it's... I mean, it, it's it's a logic that you follow, right? It's like, the it, so we're having the same problems product designers had 10 years ago. Mm. And by that, I mean, it's like product design 10 years ago, nobody, nobody knew what the name was. There was like so many names to name the same thing. And they were an afterthought of, of, of code. Yeah. And now... Look at them. It's like no, nobody, nobody, nobody leaves product design in a corner, right? Everybody thinks it's it's a given. So that maybe in a few years we won't be having this conversation, and there will be some new craft that that's trying to to help us out to to solve those design problems from a different perspective. Yeah. So it's 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 all about like like you were mentioning, right? So I don't like this whole concept about stakeholder management because it's not managing in the end. Is like you're creating relationships with people. Yeah. So you can't you can't generalize like all oh, product designers do this or all oh, devs are like this. It's like no, it's like you need to have yes, obviously your your idea of what these folks do, but you need to get to know them at like a one to one as much as possible, because that way then you'll have then you'll come to the point where you have enough confidence to tell them like you know what, you'll be my filter. You get all the requests for all the meetings and all the standups and everything, and you know me, you know my work because we've been working together for a while. You are the one that has to help me out to tell me like, okay, from all of these things that we have this week, these two are the ones that you absolutely have to make it. The rest, I got your back and then I'll share the rest of the information yeah. with you. I Something that works really well with product designers is like from time to time, depending on, on the, the project that you're working or, or the scope of that feature is like, try to have good catch-ups with them. If it's five minutes every other day or something like that, or maybe sometimes, especially now that we're all in, in lockdown, it's like, uh, avoid trying to like send emails or slack because it, it gets lost nothing beats like let's grab a coffee let's take five minutes just go grab a coffee or whatever or tea or whatever that you like and let's talk it out let's see what we need and what's the next step and that way you can sort of have because you have to imagine it i mean it depends on the ratios of, of the amount of designers that you're working with and i'm not saying that you'll be able to have coffee with all of them but let's say if if, if you do it bi-weekly or stuff like that that'll definitely help you out and you'll also tell them how they can help you do your job better. Yeah, I totally agree. I have that um, in my current engagement. I have that with all the designers that are working in the different product areas. We have at least bi-weekly check-ins and then we have spontaneous ones if there's something urgent that pops up and that works really well. However, I will say the structure of those check-ins and how we work in each specific product area still differ because exactly what you said, exactly. you need to get to know those different stakeholders. Like I have some check-ins where the PM and the designer and I, we sit together, we talk it all out. We basically decide on the spot. I have others where it's just me and the designer and then the designer tries to, in quotation marks, sell it to the PM. So the PM <laughs> is not there. And, it, you know, you have to figure out not not everyone is going to want to work a certain way. And I think that's actually yeah. one of the nice things about UX writing that, you know, you, you get to you, you get to adjust to it. But I will also say that this is one of the things I've also seen some UX writers really struggle with, that you can't like force one process on everything. It's not one size fits all. You really need to kind of, you know, 
have almost that empathy, not just towards people, but almost also empathy towards processes. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Um, to well, I think it's it's more than, yes, empathy, but it's it's, it's flexibility, right? So yeah. obviously you do need a process, you need a base for it, right? You need sort of like this boilerplate process. Because when you once you have that base that's solid and you have a starting point that you can share, then it's easier, and, like, and I'm doing like these huge air quotes with my hands, but you can't see me. There's <laughs> nothing in this life is easy, but it's easier, huge air quotes, to then um, derail a little bit or create exceptions depending on the context of each project. Wow. So yeah, definitely, you, you need to map that out, and, and these might change. But what, what, I've been, what I've been doing all these years is like, I, and obviously this, this happens because we're all human beings, you form better relationships with some people than with others. So the ones that it's you natural. form better relationships with, try to pilot test this uh, this setting up a basic process through actually working. So for I'm a, I'm a huge fan of learn by doing because you don't have the answer. And and I mean, yes, we have the the wide design design process, and and, and we know where we should fit in. But again, it, it's it depends so much on context that the best thing that you can do is. Try to test it out step by step. Document how you're doing it so you come up with a base. And then if, if you're lucky enough to work with the team, share it out and see how the rest are working. Because if you and your team have some sort of like base of this, it's easier to speak to other stakeholders and tell them like, this is the way that we consider that we can really work better together, but we're open to suggestions. And obviously, I always say that the uh, process should be sort of like a, like a Swiss, Ar Swiss Army knife, right? Because yeah. you have all these things there and it doesn't mean you, you're going to use them all, all the time, but you have it there. You have your, your tool set there and you have to make sure that you understand based on context and the scope and the project, what are the tools that you need for every single one of them? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And on that note, I want to make a note to all the designers that are listening, because I know that there's also some product and UX designers that listen in regularly. This is why <laughs> we sometimes ask to figure out a process, because I have also worked with a lot of designers who really, like you mentioned the word process, they're already out the room, like they want everything to be creative flow. And I get that, you know, like I would love that too. But I think that as soon as you bring also a UX writer or a content strategist on board and you have all these other stakeholders, in many cases, you need somewhat of a process to just make it work, to make sure everybody is involved like at the right time as often as possible. So um, <laughs> just a shout out to all the listening designers. <laughs> and, and, and it's also, it's also, I mean, we're thinking about design here. You have to make something that's scalable. I'm not saying that you have to end the process from scratch. There's a whole bunch of people that have already done. Just reach out and see what's worked for them. I mean, they might not be able to like share the specifics, but they can share like at a general level what, what what's up and what works and what doesn't. So it's like, try it out. I mean, and 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 yeah, I understand this whole thing. But okay, so I am, I we're going to have a problem here because I'm like a very, very big process geek. I love processes because mm. for me, it's, it's the way that I can see how I can navigate through 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 a project. So <laughs> I know there's, like you said, there's people that just hear the word and just jump out the room. Yeah. But when you actually take the time to sit down, not by yourself, but with the rest of the stakeholders, it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like bringing that design problem that you want to solve and put it at the center. And then you have different perspectives, right? Because we're all trained to have a look at design from a different angle. Yes. So if you only see it from one angle, you'll only come up with one set, two sets, or a few um, possible solutions. But if you come up with everything, 
it's sort of like jazz, right? So instead of all, they, 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 you don't have to all follow the exact notes, but everybody starts riffing and brings their ideas to the table. And that makes it easier to come up with solutions that are much more, one, flexible, but also scalable. And that's what you need. I mean, because in the end, it's like, it's like what Scott Kuby always says is like, we shouldn't be thinking about solving writing problems. We should be thinking about solving design problems yes. and how we solve them with the rest of our team. Yeah, I totally agree. And like some things that have also helped me besides just, you know, like building those relationships, talking it through so we can establish sustainable processes is also to just, you know, maybe do try out some tools. And there's always some reluctancy. So, for example, um, where I currently am, I do have a UX writing request Trello board where essentially every request has to go through this Trello board. doesn't matter if it's a big project, doesn't matter if it's like a small project, doesn't matter if it's just like fix this error message or we're designing a completely new feature. It has to go through this Trello board and follow a certain template. And that may sound awful to a lot of people, but it's so good because it forces the person that wants something to really reflect on um, what they're actually asking. And I kid you not, in like, I would say two out of five cases, while they're just looking at this template, they realize that they're still missing information that I would need to start helping them. So it's been a really great way for me to really um, get that understanding for what context I need before I can jump on as a UX writer or jump in as a content strategist. So that has been really great. Um, and it took me several months to figure out how that should look like. And then another thing that I do that is really helpful, and I've done this a lot in the past as well, is um, if I'm the first UX writer on board, I will start a Slack channel <laughs> called UX Writing, and I will invite ideally the whole company if they're up for it, and if not, at least the most important stakeholders. And then I share everything I do there, like not like meticulously, like not like this is what I did today, this is what I had for lunch. But if I'm working on like bigger releases or smaller ones at the back, and I will share them there just to people really gain that understanding for what even is UX writing? Because I still feel so much of what we have to do to build those stakeholder relationships is also really still about explaining what it is that yep. we do, how it adds value, um, why certain parts of it are important, why we ask certain questions. Because I have been in meetings with um, stakeholders, this particularly has happened in the past with like certain PMs, for example, and I'll ask a question and they'll get frustrated with me because they feel like it's not to the point, but I need to know the answer in order to make a yep. decision. Yeah, and there, there's two. There, there, okay, so let, let's unpack that. Right, there's several things that I would like to add. That I uh, first of all, obviously, I, I agree. It's like you're preaching to the choir. So I'm going to say it once, but it'll apply to the rest of the things you probably was going to say. I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so the great thing about having a Trello board or a Jira board or a Kanban or whatever it is, besides helping the other people um, think about what they're asking for, there's two things here. One. You're documenting every single thing that you do. Yeah. So eventually you can come to your manager and say like, look, my bandwidth is this and I'm over bandwidth. What can we do about that? Second, if, if, if you're the only one and you need to grow your team and you're having all these relationships and people will eventually come because, well, it's like nobody has ever done this and now you're here and you can help us out. We would love to work with you. So having that is documenting the amount of stuff that come and that's a great 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 way to create a business case to grow your team because it's like see i'm by myself i'm getting all these requests i can't do it all i'm doing 50 60 80 whatever percent that i can but the rest i i, I just i can't service them maybe it's time that we get someone else on board and that means that's a great way to, to see that you're actually doing a good job 
also it's very easy to start documenting that way because when you start you'll start seeing patterns of the types of things and the types of requests that you get yes. which means is you can start to create components out of these things because at the beginning when there's no one they might ask you to write that button 30 times but then like mm, maybe i should start creating components for this so if you have a design system it's like try to speak to the design system team saying like this button i'm getting asked a 30,000 times a week to write it can we just introduce that text so that's actually a component with its variants within the design system that's if you have if you don't at least start creating some guidelines that you can just like copy and paste and and, and redo that or document that in a place in confluence uh, sorry confluence or 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 a blog or whatever you have within your company that's like these are the these are the things that I get asked the most before you actually open, for example, like a Trello ticket, have a look if what you're asking is already here. So that also saves time for everybody. Yeah. Now, the other thing that you were mentioning about um, speaking to the company, that's that's super important. But Jeff, uh, the way I see it, it's, 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 two, it's, it's on two sides. One, like you mentioned, is like, how do you speak to all these people and do these presentations and show them how it works, workshop a lot with them, make them write so they so they feel your pain and they understand that writing is not just like banging those keys or, or like getting a piece of paper. Writing is hot and we know that we do that for a living. And there's a whole bunch of design. There's a whole bunch of like design tools and processes that go into writing. And the other thing is, depending on the maturity within, within your company, is like you most likely will have design critiques or design work in progress. And even better, you might even have product design reviews, which include several stakeholders, including your PMs, your devs, obviously research and, and design. Um, maybe at the beginning, it's hard to like actually present work, but as soon as you have something to present, be there. One, because they'll see your face, they know what you're doing. And two, what a better way to explain to people what you do and showing them how that's being applied to your product. And the other thing that you can start doing is like, you need to practice how to facilitate these things because you're gonna be running a whole bunch of workshops with a lot of people because they already have a process of working. So when you're the new one, you need to make it easier for them. So if you take the lead on creating those workshops and, and, and working together and finding those spaces, that, that'll, that'll be a great benefit for the whole team. So these product design reviews or this, um, design critiques are a great place to start practicing how to facilitate. Yeah, I totally agree on that. My facilitation skills are really through the roof ever since <laughs> I started working with UX writing. Yeah. And on an, another note yeah. on the design reviews and critiques is that like, don't be afraid to show your documentation. I've spoken to UX writers who were, I was like, oh, I really don't know what to show. Like, you know, I, I've written the, these four error messages, but like, what kind of feedback am I looking for? You know, it's just, I'm like, well, but, but show your process. Or maybe yeah. if you're creating a, a new document, even if it's, you know, your tone and voice guidelines, show that, ask, ask people how they would exactly. use it. do a small exercise you know ask them based on the document to write something see how it turns out like there's so many great ways that you can still benefit from a design review um so yeah, yeah. i definitely say go for that as well but you have to have very clear what is the type of feedback that you're looking for because you need to tell your designers that at the beginning and then it's it, like when you start rolling you'll get to a point where you actually start working closer to the product designers is like the next product design review you're going to present a solution to a problem and you get to you should be able to present together and by this i mean is that designers should be able to explain the visuals and the interactions and you should be able to explain what part the language and the words are working with and together you're presenting your solution to a design problem 
not to a visual interaction or words problem, not a design problem. And you're doing it together because yeah. that's the way it should work. I totally agree. And also on the note you had on design systems, I think that's so important as well. I've heard of so many companies, also bigger companies that still don't really make UX writing a part of their design system. I think if you do, it's so valuable. So many, like you said, of the common questions for certain buttons or how to write certain errors. You can really, if you put put the guidelines and some example components in your design system, I mean, you're going to solve a lot of problems. You become much more scalable as a UX writer. Definitely. And, and you don't need to be writing and rewriting these things. And, and there's a whole, bunch, I mean, obviously it depends on context and it depends on the type of product you're working on. But there's things that you, I mean, form fields, for example, how many ways do you have for asking like for an email, a password, or a yeah. first name? And why is that not there from the start? That, I mean, that, so for me, it's like we need to stop thinking about um, Jenga and we start thinking about Legos, yeah. right? Because right now it's like if you are doing all these things ad hoc, that, that pyramid eventually falls because you can't keep track. Right. But if you create that piece once, if you take the time to create that piece once and introduce it with it, it's even better. And when when the design team documents that, if they're talking about, uh, for example, f- forms, then you can, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. If you break it down, if you break the, out the anatomy of a form, you've got the the titles, you've got the form fields. You can even do the error messages. I mean, at least the basic ones, like when there's no internet connection, when there's a wrong entry, and you can pretty much just systemize that. Yeah. And I mean, that's more time. That's time that you save on redoing this, but it's also time that you can actually use to embed yourself into like a, the thicker, let's call it design problem space rather than redoing these things or, or like John Common when when actually no he quotes yeah he quotes Amy Thibodeau from from Shopify is like it, it's enough we shouldn't be dusting off the content right just like writing the pretty words when everything's done yeah so Mario I have one last question if you want to sure, if there's sure. maybe something you spot like while you're doing your usual work something that is not part of a current release like a question I got recently was, what do I do if um, I want my company to change all the product copy from title case to sentence case, for example? <laughs> so then you need to get a lot of stakeholders uh, on board. Do you have any tips yeah. for that or how you would approach that? That's that's a tough one. That's a very tough one because you're gonna need a, you're gonna need a huge business case for that. Yep. And the first thing I would the first thing I would do is like start speaking. First of all, start speaking to the devs to understand how complicated that would be and how much time and how much money would that cost from a dev side. So based on that, then you can start speaking to the rest. Then you can start speaking to your PMs and then you can start speaking to, to your product designers. But you need to first know on, uh, first understand how much time and money that'll actually cost. Now, that's the ideal solution. There's other ways of like, like the before and after, right? So you can have everything that's been done up till now, it's been this way, but now that you have, you're trying to from now on, you're saying clear guidelines. So from now on, you'll have that there, which means is eventually you'll see the progression of the new releases getting better and better and better. And then you might have a, a, a strong business case to then get into the backlog and do this, like doing those corrections for, for the sentence case or the buttons or the, the grammar points, whatever it may be, but it, it's, it's very to be completely honest. Yeah. I think that was was a really solid answer. This is also usually what I do. I often come uh, onto projects that are using title case, and I'm always like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, yeah. usually there's no dev time available. So I'll just start yeah. updating uh, new, new releases. I mean, 
Yeah, and there's things out there like the Content Design London created the readability guidelines, and they have a lot of information, especially on like title case and and very so, so a lot of grammar points, and they're all based on 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 evidence. So it's not like they just came up one morning and wrote those. No, no, they're based on evidence. I'll, I'll share with you the links. So that's another way. It's like once you speak to devs, you can show data points that show why, in this particular case, why sentence case is better than title case for readability. Yeah. That's in in one works. of my recent projects, this is actually also a really good note on building relationships and finding an ally. Um, I actually got someone that was working on accessibility on board. So um, I found a resource that explained that go. sentence case is much better for accessibility. And exactly. then so with their additional street cred, <laughs> we were able to push it through. So it really, as a UX writer slash content designer, it's also a little bit about being creative. Like who can actually help you <laughs> exactly. make a point? <laughs> but, but see, this is what we're circling back to what I was saying earlier. Is like the more points of view that you have to solve that design problem, the better, because yeah. that's how you get creative with solutions. There's so there's no right way to do stuff. There's not just one answer. There's a whole bunch of roads, and you have to have that objective at the end, that goal, right? No, I totally agree. And I think that that's why I really appreciate that you took the time today to have this conversation with me. So we basically talk about it could work like this, it could work like that. Maybe this is something you want to do. Maybe that is something you want to do. But in the end, in, if you're listening and you're a UX writer, something completely different may work really well for you. And, and that's the beauty of it and maybe also the pain. <laughs> but um, yeah. you'll, you'll figure it out if you just keep an open mind and you keep experimenting. And to me personally, that's one of the best parts of the job. Like to really figure out like, how can I solve this problem? And then maybe once I've solved the problem, okay, so like, how can I make sure I solve my next problem just a little bit more efficiently? And I mean, Nicole, we, we work we work in a design process that should be iterative. So, so by that, I mean, is like nothing is set in stone. Exactly. So you might find a solution now, but then maybe in a couple of months, you find a different way to approach it and maybe it works better. You don't know, but you have to keep on trying. And that's what I mean is you need to ask the rest of the people how would they solve the problem? Because between all of you, it, it, it's 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 much easier that you'll find. Because sometimes when you, when you start designing, it's like you come up with like this grandiose idea of how the interaction should work, how the flow's gonna work. And then you just speak to them, why don't we just switch this for that? And you're like, oh yeah, I never thought about that. And it actually works. And it's half the time and half the, half the effort. And it, and it works just as well as, as what you were planning originally. So yeah, it's, it's just what I'm trying to say is like keep an open mind and ask questions as much as you can yeah. to not just the usual suspects is like ask different people because in the end for your users, they're, they're having a, um, they, they, it, for them, it doesn't matter if it's something from marketing or something from product or something from devs or, 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 or even like customer support for them. It's just, it's, it's the same product that they, they know and love and they want to keep using. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I can't plus one enough on just talking to the devs because the, I'm not saying you have to understand like coding and you have yeah. to be super technically skilled. But if you get a little bit of an idea of, you know, the amount of work a certain change will take and really kind of, you know, check with your devs, you will realize there's there's usually a lot of quick fixes <laughs> that nobody is looking at. Exactly. So, yeah, it's no, very or, valuable. Yeah, when you need to pull out strings or, or stuff like that, it's just like they have 
better ways than than, than the manual way of you screenshotting every single screen yeah. from the onboarding. Trust me, uh, they'll know better. Um, quick tip: just bring them cookies or or candy or whatever it is that they like. Just ask. Yeah, and that also in many cases for me, um, reach out in the afternoon. A lot of the devs I work with, they hate when I ping them in the morning. <laughs> so. That's a, actually that's a very good point. <laughs> So yeah, hot tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and also, I mean, you, you need to make friends with legal. Yep. Because everything it depends on obviously again context, but when you start writing for a product, especially when it's like tricky bits that has to do with the um, terms and conditions, or you're trying to explain something that's changing in the feature, or when it has to do with payments or anything that's a little bit let's say more sensitive from from the user perspective you need to you need to understand what worries legal because basically they're 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 they have i mean they're there to protect the company right so they they're not the enemy they're like they know a lot of stuff and again they think of a whole bunch of stuff that you'll never think about so try to learn because my my biggest beef with legal at the beginning was like um, the wording that they use is very complicated and it's not very clear so it's 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 their day-to-day so it's their jargon so they're okay with that so speak to them to see okay from this sentence that you gave me that i can't understand any of it how much can we actually change and what word we just can't touch at all exactly and start sort of like start of like go back and forth and and see how you can even if you can pair write it together because you can to explain you can explain to them like this side and they can say yeah but this word has to say okay great so but then you can work it around instead of sending it back and forth Try to do it together. Yeah. If you if you get a chance, it's a very interesting exercise. Yeah, I totally agree. The the best collaborations I've had with Lego was we hopped on a call, we looked at the same Google Doc, and we just worked exactly. on it together. So uh, definitely yeah. plus one on that. <laughs> all right, Mario. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these awesome insights. I'm really happy that you joined today. I want to give you the opportunity to say maybe one last thing that you really want to highlight or one last tip or, you know, whatever you want can be completely random as well. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, once again, thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's been a, an, a very interesting conversation. Um, I think I, I get a lot of questions on like how to how to start um, working as a content designer as mm-hmm. a UX writer, I, I and you and I we've had this conversation before. So for me, it's like I think that you need to understand that this is more than just about writing, yeah. and that uh, you have to you have to feel empowered to be able to ask questions. So in, in a silly way, and this is what I tell my kids all the time is like if 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 there's a tip that I can give you is there is no such thing as a silly question. So don't feel bad about asking. Just ask away. Yeah, I totally agree. I think (laughs) I say this all the time. You know, if you really just want to spend your day writing, don't become a UX writer. Exactly. (laughs) Or maybe maybe you'll find a position where it's just about that, but I haven't found it. (laughs) Um, And and, and get ready for conflict. Exactly. Conflict resolution. And and that's that's part of the job. So I have this, now my Swedish listeners, they need to message me and tell me if this is accurate. But I have, I've noticed that in Sweden, a lot of the UX writers are actually not Swedish people. They're like from all over the world, um, but they're often not Swedish. And I've always wondered if one of the reasons for that is that Swedes, they, 
they have this reputation that they're very conflict averse. So they're very afraid to like go into a conflict. They will try to avoid it or they'll, they'll like, you know, take the back seat and let whoever else is in the conflict win. And that obviously doesn't work very well if you're a UX writer. So I've always wondered if this is why so many UX writers here are, you know, from other places. Yeah, that, that, actually, that's a very good question. I mean, I've been working with 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 Swedish people for the very good part of like eight years now, so I, I understand what you mean, and and I think it depends on who you end up working with. But for me, it's like it's it's learning about other cultures, not just with Swedish, because I've been I had chance to work with people from China, people from Latin America, from people from the Nordics, the South of Europe. It's learning and and also getting a lot of their visual cues. Because, for example, a Swedish person. You need to look at them and look how how like their face and how they're reacting because sometimes it'll be just a subtle nod that eh, and as you know like yep this is not gonna work so you need to re-explain or sometimes it's like you need to leave and this is something like for us that come from like Latin America and the states uncomfortable silences this this was a great a great tip I got like a few weeks ago it's like when you're speaking to be from the Nordics is like post your question and count to five and allow for that. Um, that that uncomfortable silence because if nobody comes up when it's really uncomfortable that means everything is clear yeah i, th I think that's that's really great wow thank you so much mario <laughs> thank you for You're joining i i think this will be a great episode i'm sure i'll be getting a lot of messages in youtube because i'll of course link your details <laughs> in the in the info box um so yeah let's do this again soon thank you so much for joining sure. eh, muchas gracias y hasta la próxima <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, folks, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all things stakeholders to UX writing slash content strategy. As usual, please feel free to reach out. You can find all our links in the info box, both Mario's and mine. Um, again, thank you so much for everybody that has sent me feedback and requests for future episodes. Please continue to do that. I love doing these and I'm I always appreciate some insights on what topics are interesting. Um, I also wanted to let everyone know that um, actually Mario as well and I, have, we've been really active on Clubhouse together with a couple of other UX writers and content designers. So we've been doing a lot of talks there where we casually talk about our day-to-day -day work so if you're on clubhouse please feel free to join those hit us up um my name there is nicole michaelis and mario's also signed up with his full name so please make sure if you're into audio which i assume you are if you're listening to this podcast to also check out our talks there thank you so much for tuning in to content rookie again and there's of course going to be a new episode soon thank you so much for listening this is nicole bye bye <laughs>